We've been in a series, we started a series last week called Alive and Free, all right, and we kind of kicked it off, and we talked about a paradigm of freedom. What if freedom was not the absence of something, but the presence of someone? What if we could look at freedom a little bit differently, uh, instead of just trying to, quote unquote, get rid of things in our lives? And so today, we're going to talk about how that mindset works with Jesus from the scripture, from Mark chapter 5. So I want you to turn in your Bible to Mark chapter 5, and then you can kind of hold your thumb there, and we're, the second scripture we're going to go to is Luke chapter 10. So Mark chapter 5 and Luke chapter 10, and the name of this message is called Under the Influence. Under the Influence. I think this series is significant for our church. And I think it's significant for our church because I think God wants to set a bunch of us free, free from our past, free from our history, free from habits, free from poor ways of thinking, free from all kinds of things. But I think when we, de we decided to go down this road, I don't think the enemy likes it. I think Satan and all his minions and all the, the darkness of this world will fight against you being here on a Sunday. He doesn't want you to be here. He doesn't want you to go to a small group where they talk about this stuff, try to keep you from doing that. He doesn't want you to come to the, the weekend experience, which is called a free weekend, and who doesn't love a free weekend? On, right at the end of this series, we're going to go through this series, and then we're going to all gather together here for a big, huge worship uh, night and, and during the day where we're soaking in his presence and God's working in our lives, and we're praying for one another, we're teaching through some uh, specific principles I want you all, as many of you as will, to be part of that. As many as you want to. But here's the thing. There is spiritual activity going on because we're talking about these issues. And here's, and here's, how, here's the deal. Um, the first sign, I think, often, often the very first sign of some kind of spiritual warfare or battle in your own life is relationships begin to be full of tension. I think that's the first sign. The first sign is, how dare they say that to me? <laughs> oh, you, do you believe me? You're, like, you're looking at me like, what? I've never experienced that before. I've never, I've never said that. No, you, there's a tension that starts to rise in relationship, and it's usually the first sign that something's going on around you. Um, and so I want you to understand that this Alive and Free series is not an intellectual pursuit. We're not, we're not doing an intellectual exercise by peering into the scriptures and trying to figure out how Jesus wants us to be free. This is actually a spiritual encounter that we're talking about. The Bible itself says that the way we renew our minds is through interaction with the word and his spirit. The Holy Spirit work at work in us begins to change in our, our minds and the way we look at things. And so I want you to see that this is a spiritual thing that we're going through. And you're going to have to increase your prayer life. You need to increase. I want you to be sensitive about what's happening around you. John 8, 36 says, so if the Son makes you free, you are free indeed. This is what we're after. And the other side doesn't like it. So I want you to be aware of that, and I want you to do everything you can to be here, to connect in a group, and to come to the free weekend, all right? So let's, let's, let's pray, 
and uh, then we'll read the scripture. Father, would you let the word of God come alive in us now as we read some stories about how Jesus worked with people and how he dealt with spiritual darkness. And Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes, open our hearts, open our minds to how you want to work in our lives. We yield, we surrender, and we open up to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Chapter 5 of, of Mark, verse 1 says, They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. Uh, some translations say the Gadarenes. And so this is uh, the, the city of Gadara was the one that was near. Verse 2 says, When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil uh, or impure or uh, unclean spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. If we pause right here and we really take our holy glasses off and we look at what was happening in that town amongst those people, it means that they'd gone through quite a process with this guy. And he had really caused a lot of problems, and he was personally tormented, and that caused issues with everybody else. So they had tried to do what? They tried to control it. They tried to, they tried to chain him up so he wouldn't hurt himself or other people. They had been through a process. When you notice, it says, it says they, couldn't, they couldn't chain him anymore. It means they'd tried many, many times. And often this is what happens to us when we try to control things in our lives that can't be controlled by our own abilities. There are things sometimes in our hearts and our minds and our lives and our history that are beyond our personal ability to control them. Our sinful nature engages. Then there's a battle with the, the spiritual darkness that wants to dominate. And, 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 then, and then we're trying to figure out, well, how do we get through this? This is what had happened to this man. And so they tried to subdue him, but they couldn't. He was freakishly strong. And he busted out of the chains. Verse 5 says, Night and day among the tombs and in the hills he would cry out and cut himself with stones. Let me pause here for a second and really see the picture. He was so tormented that he would try to cut himself. He was so, he was so influenced. He was so uh, um, in such anguish that he would cry out. Have you ever heard anybody cry out like that? closest I've ever heard to that sound is my mother-in-law when, when her husband died. Amy's mom, she was, she was in the throes of grief, and it was so heavy. She was just wailing and grieving. He died at 49 of a heart attack with no warning. He was there one day, he was gone the next, and the grief that came in that house was unbearable. This guy... This guy had pain and torment that was unbearable. And nobody knew how to do it. And when you see people like that, what we should be as God's people is compassionate and full of mercy. Right. Not judgmental, not, not harsh, not, 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 we shouldn't make fun of them, we shouldn't take it for granted. Here's the thing, Here, here's the deal, we're going to get to this. But God's given us the solution to many of those things. 
Grief is powerful, but there is one who is the comforter, one who brings peace beyond torment that comes from this life. So here he is. He's crying out nine days, cutting himself in stones. Verse 6 says, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. Some passages say, that, some translations say that he ran and bowed down before him. The King James says he came and worshipped him. And so he shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, now watch this, come out of this man, you evil spirit. So Jesus, the, the verses are in reverse order. So Jesus had spoken to him, and the writer here tells the story with, with what had happened and, and what the man said. He tells it before what Jesus had said to him. So Jesus, he'd come up, he'd bowed down, and then Jesus had said, come out of him, you evil spirit. He was talking to the evil spirit, and the evil spirit answered, what do you want with me, Jesus? It wasn't the man. It wasn't the man who was speaking. It was the evil spirit. How do we know? Because he says, son of the most high God, swear to God that you won't torture me. Jesus never comes to torture anybody. It's not the man. It's the, it's the spirit that's talking to him. And I know we sometimes we want to, you know, if, if, I, if, if I really put myself in the story, I might hear him say, um, what do you want with me, Jesus? <laughs> Here's the sad part. Have you noticed the rise of horror movies? Again, I mean, they, we've had some several, you know, cycles of horror movies in our culture, but right now they are huge. They are big. People love to be scared. Listen, that stuff is horrible. It's terrible. It's wounding. It's from the devil. That's right. <laughs> and so listen, so listen, these, so, so this is serious. This is serious business here. This man is in pain, and then the, the spirit speaks to him. Verse 9 says, Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? Interestingly enough, Jesus is coming to a, a new place. He's coming in a boat. And he arrives on the land, and the Spirit knows he's coming. Because there are two worlds we live in. We live in two dimensions, and there's a spiritual realm that we cannot see, and there's a physical realm that we can see. And the, the work of Christianity is to bring those two things together. Jesus said it this way, pray, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Jesus is bringing all things into earth from heaven, and he lands on this place, and, and the enemy doesn't want it. This evil spirit resists. He says, verse 9, my name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. So he's begging them, begging Jesus, not, the, the demons are begging Jesus not to send them out of the area because once they get in a place, they like to entrench they like to entrench. Often you will see a, a, a I don't know, an, an attitude or a culture that arises from a place, a city. Different cities have different personalities. Why? Because there's a battle going on inside those cities. And, and each city sort of is, is wrestling with, with the uh, unseen world and what's going on in it. 
And that has repercussions in the physical world. And so he, he, he begged him again and again. And you can hear, like, he says again and again. It's like, please, Jesus, don't send us out. Don't send us out of here. Don't send us. We want to stay. Please, 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 please. They knew they were in trouble. Verse 11 says, a large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. And then demons begged Jesus, okay, 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 okay. send us in among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. We know this was a Gentile area. It was a new area for the kingdom of God to burst onto the scene because there was herds of pigs. Wouldn't have happened in the Jewish area. Right? So, no, so, so, so there's, there's a real um, spearheading of the kingdom of God coming into this place, and the, the spirit meets it. The, the evil spirit meets Jesus coming. The demons beg to send him to the pigs, and I want you to see verse 13. I want you to take your pen, and I want you to underline this, this phrase. He gave them permission. He gave them permission. Circle that word. The crux of the entire story rests upon this phrase right here because it demonstrates the authority of Jesus. The authority and the power that only Jesus has. He gave them permission, and the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. And the herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. So the demons go into the pigs, and then they promptly, the pigs run into the lake, and they're killed. They're dead. They, they went into the pigs, and, and this, is, this is what's true, I think, about demons. Most likely, they are the third of the angels that fell away. In heaven, which is a great number because a third, everyone that's against you means there's two that are for you because <laughs> there's two-thirds <laughs> that stayed in heaven. And, if you, and if, you, if you understand the name of Jesus and the authority of Jesus' name, I mean, there is nothing, there's nothing Jesus hasn't do, doesn't have power over. And so we don't have to be afraid of this, this, these concepts and these ideas, but we do need to understand What's happening? And, and, and this, this leads to a long-held um, belief on my part that demons do enter animals as well, um, especially uh, cats. <laughs> and, uh, I, I don't know what it is about cats, but they, demons are in cats. We know that they went in pigs, but I think they like cats better and dogs, not so much, but I think a lot of, we're gonna, a lot of cats going to be in hell at the end of time. I don't, th I don't think all dogs go to heaven, but most dogs do. So <laughs> so, so, I, I, so let's finish the story. He says, it says, uh, when they came to Jesus, they saw that, oh, sorry, those tending the pigs, verse 6, 14, ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed in his right mind. Help me with this next phrase. And they were afraid. Not afraid of a freakishly strong, weird guy that's tormenting himself, living amongst the tombs. They were afraid, and those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. And then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. So not only are they afraid of something that happens to a man, something unfamiliar, 
we're often afraid of what we don't understand, aren't we? We're often, we often have a paradigm, a, a way of thinking that keeps us from what Jesus wants. So they send Jesus away. And verse 18 says, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. And Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis. Decapolis means it was 10 cities. Deca, Polis, there's 10 cities. How much Jesus had done for him and all the people were amazed. The first point I want to make to you, it's very simple. This is not a complicated message. Number one, there really are demons. I know some people don't want to talk about this. Right? We, don't, we, we, don't, we don't want to discuss it. We don't want to deal with it. You know, there's, there's, this, is a, this is a marker, though, of Jesus' ministry. Demons are mentioned 80 to 82 times, depending on which translation you read throughout the Bible. And then in the Gospels, 61 times. 61 times. And it was a mark of the ministry of Jesus to set people free from demonic activity that had gotten a hold of them. And so this is a mark of Jesus, and I want you to see how many times in the scriptures it talks about this. Matthew 8, 16, I'll just kind of read some to you. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. Matthew 9, 32, 33 says, When they left, a demon-possessed man who couldn't speak was brought to Jesus. And so Jesus cast out the demon, and then the man began to speak. And the crowds were amazed. Nothing like this has ever happened in Israel, they exclaimed. Interesting thought. This was the first time someone had been given authority over demons. Jesus had taken authority, the authority of God, and began to rule. The reason the people and the crowds were so amazed at it is because it didn't happen with their current religious leaders. The way they ended up dealing with it is let the guy live out in the wilderness and chain him up. So here it is, Matthew 17, 18. Then Jesus rebuked the demon in the boy, and it left him. From that moment, the boy was well. Mark 3, 14 through 15. He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that they might send him, send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. Not only did Jesus do it, but his disciples started doing it. Mark 6, 12 says they went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. Mark 16, 17 says, and these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. They will drive out demons. There's something powerful here that we have to understand. And, uh, you know, some of you are in this room and you're like, finally, Pastor Ross, you're speaking on this topic because this is really good. They love talking about the spiritual realm. Others of you are like, I don't, I don't like it when you talk about this. I, do we have to talk about this? Is this? I don't really want to think about this. I don't really want to know anything about this. C.S. Lewis said it this way. He said, there's two kinds of people that Satan loves. 
Two kinds of people Satan loves. The skeptic and the stuper, superstitious. <laughs> the superstitious. The skeptic, the skeptic doesn't believe in anything. The skeptic doubts everything. So, so Satan capitalizes on them. And then the superstitious are the kind of people that think everything is about this. They, and they become, they're the kind of people, if you've ever heard the phrase, they become so heavenly minded, they're of no earthly good. Like their, their heads are out in the clouds somewhere and they're not dealing with real, reality. The truth is we, we, we sort of need to come to the middle, don't we? Um, everything, is, every, everything is not about demons. So, so we shouldn't go there, but we, we also shouldn't deny their existence and their influence in people and even Christians. We're going to talk about that here in a second. Jesus came to set us free. Here's what Jack Hayford said. Jack Hayford is a brilliant pastor. And, and he said that you can't cast out the flesh and you can't disciple a demon. You can't, some people, they, they work on their lives and they're, and they're, and they're cast, they're, they think that everything that's going on in their lives is, is a demon. And so they keep trying to cast it out when in reality, it's just them. You can't cast you out of you. All right. You, each of us are wired up in a certain way. We have certain DNA. We have certain history. We have a past. We have, we have parents who were imperfect. We have, we have all that stuff. All right. That's all part of the ball game here. All right, so don't try to cast out uh, your, what, you know, what your dad passed on to you. You're going to have to deal with it in a spiritual way, no doubt about it. But it's, it's part of you, and you're learning how to disciple yourself, okay? But you also can't disciple a demon. And this is what I find that a lot of believers get caught up in, is they won't acknowledge that there's demonic influence in their life. They won't acknowledge that this is a spiritual problem. And so it just stays, Years and years of a habit that just won't let go. Years and years of, of something you just can't get victory over. Um, something you feel powerless to conquer. That happens in all of our lives. And there is a solution. Because here's my, here's my second point. First point is, there really are demons. The second point is, they really do enter people. They really do enter people in one way or another. And as we talk about this, even though sometimes it makes us uncomfortable, what I want you to see is that spiritual forces are at work all around us. This is what the Bible says. All right, Ephesians 6 verse 12 says, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. We don't see this kind of demon possession in Mark 5 very much around our Western society. Most likely because people don't believe in it or the devil has no need to manifest in this way because he's had to become more subtle in our intellectual society. Probably both. But, but in, and here's the confusing part. Spiritual wickedness is expressed often through people. It's expressed through people, so this is, makes it tough. And we're, we're, not, we're not fighting against people. We're fighting against something else. 
a spiritual wickedness that sometimes takes over in a person or influences them. So, you know, if, if, if your boss is mean, it could be spiritual, but I, I don't want you to go up to him and slap him on the forehead and say, come out! <laughs> your husband or your spouse, you know, during a fight, don't say, you're possessed. <laughs> that, that, that will make the fight worse, I promise. <laughs> wait, wait till you're in front of somebody else to say that. You may think your kids need an exorcism, but they, but they may just need to be trained. <laughs> but we have to remember that these, these worlds overlap and are intertwined. And indeed, they, they, they can't really be separated. If we look at last week in John 10, John 10, 10 says, The thief comes only to kill and to steal and destroy, but Jesus came that you would have life, and that you have life abundantly, you have it to the full. Verse 1 says that the thief comes and tries to get into the sheep, tries to get into the sheep by some other way. The thief is always lurking, trying to get into your life and my life. He's always lurking to try to capitalize on any opportunity he can. So the question is, can a Christian be possessed? Can a Christian be demon-possessed? Well, I think the problem is with the word possessed. We have a thinking that the word possessed means that I don't have control over my body and the, the devil comes in and takes over. I'm not, I'm not denying that that may be possible, but not in a Christian because the word possessed is the problem. Let's, so so let's, let's talk about it for a second. Here's, here's what we're looking at. Demon-possessed in the scriptures, the way the Greek... Uh, opens up the, the, the definition of it. There is the phrase demon-possessed, but there's two Greek words for possessed. And one does mean ownership. There's one, there's one possession, the word possession especially, possess, means ownership. But the other one means to gain mastery over. To gain mastery over or, or power over. And so if you look at like, for instance, Luke 21, 19, where this word possesses. Jesus said, in the King James, he says, um, in your patience, possess your souls. What did he mean? Does he mean own your soul? Do we own our souls? If you're a believer, guess what? You've been bought with a price. Jesus purchased you, and now you no longer own your own life. You belong to another. You've been purchased. God owns your life. He owns you. This is what the Apostle Paul said in some of his letters, is, is, is that, that you don't belong to yourself anymore, and you've got to give up. You've, if you want to gain life, you've got to give up your life to Christ. Right? right? So, so, so there it is. We, this, is the, this is an example of the word possess that's most common, and what it most commonly means is to be under the influence of a demon. The NIV uses the word demonized sometimes. Demonized in the NIV means to be under the influence. So it's a confusion about the word possessed. We tend to resist that, and often that, I mean, very often people aren't necessarily possessed. They're in charge of their own bodies. And they're in charge of their own minds, but they've given over to bad ideas, to foolish thinking, to all kinds of things. And the way they do that is they let the enemy take advantage of them. 
And let me tell you what I mean by this. It takes two moves for the devil to get anyone. It takes two moves. The first move is his. Somebody offends you. Somebody hurts you. Your boss is mean to you. You get in a fight with your wife or your husband. Something really deeply disappointing happens with your children. There is a first move, and he's trying to get in somewhere. But the second move is yours and mine. The second move is ours. And so here's what happens. If we give in to anger when anger is brought to us, Proverbs says a soft answer turns away wrath. But if we give in to anger, then he's got us. If we give in to bitterness because somebody offends us or hurts us, he's got us. He's got our souls. He's got our hearts. But if we choose forgiveness instead, look what happens. We undermine, we break the power of the dark world's authority in our lives. We break the, the scheme of any enemy of our souls. We break its power when we respond according to the scriptures and when we respond in surrendering to Jesus and when we respond to anything that happens to us according to what Jesus has laid out as a life that is more abundant, more full. The problem comes when we choose not to do that. The problem comes when we give up permission for the enemy to influence us. And it's happening a lot in our society, but it's coming in, I think it's coming into all of us in the church in a very profound way. Not necessarily in, in this, the, the way that this man is possessed in Mark 5, but in a much more subtle, much more devious way in the way that we think, in the way that we view the scriptures in the way that we view God's work in our lives. There's a problem here. And I think the thing I want you to settle is whether, whether the, you think that the enemy is on your shoulder or out here around you or in your head or... No, it really doesn't matter. The question is, who's influencing you? This is how the scripture most commonly identifies demons as influencers. They influence. They whisper. They communicate bad ideas through others and in the spiritual realm. And so the thief is coming into your house. And so if you think about this, the way you should think of it is if a thief comes to your front door or climbs in a window. Maybe you've left the front door wide open by some things that you're doing or thinking. Then you let the thief in. He starts taking stuff. He starts taking over. Does the thief own the house? He doesn't own the house, but he's sure making a mess. He's sure influencing what's going on in the house right now. And that's happening to so many people. If a man who, is, who loves God and, is, and actually uh, loves the Holy Spirit, and if that man becomes drunk because he drank too much alcohol, or maybe he takes too many prescription drugs and he gets loopy, right? If, if, a, if a man um, takes drugs, is he, do the drugs own him 
or are they just influencing him? They're influencing him. I know we've come to say that an addict would say that the drugs own him, right? But I, I'm not sure that's a good way to look at it necessarily. I think what's happening is there's another entity that's influencing them. And so they, we call them, right? If, if a guy's drunk, we call him under the influence. He's under the influence of alcohol, which means he does things that are out of character for him. He says things that he shouldn't say. He does things that he shouldn't do at a party. Right? They're out of character for him. This is the same thing that happens to believers who let the thief in. And they begin to do things that are out of character for who they are and who owns them. And so here's what I want you to see. A Christian who dabbles in all these things really opens themselves to influence of demonic power. A Christian who looks at pornography will be under the influence of a demon. Yep. It just opens up the door and lets people go, lets, lets these spirits go in. We can all be blinded by demonic ideas and influences. All of us. So what does it require? It requires diligence and vigilance. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5 says it this way. We are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons. Everybody say mighty weapons. Okay, you're all, you're all looking at me like, Pastor, please tell us the answer because we're tired of hearing about the problem. Some of you are scared that you actually have demonic activity working in your own life. There's nothing to be afraid of if you know Jesus. There is hope for you. I know the one who can make you free. Here's what it says, verse 4. We use God's mighty weapons and not worldly weapons to knock down the strongholds. Everybody say strongholds. The strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. Now, I want you to see what is going on here. There's a stronghold in people's minds. Go back to Mark 5 and think about the townspeople. This guy gets delivered. He's no longer tormenting himself and cutting himself, cutting himself with rocks and bleeding. He's now dressed and in his right mind and they show up and they're freaked out. Could it be that they were under a bad paradigm, a foolish way of thinking? Could it be that prosperity had them so gripped, materialism, that when their pigs died, it didn't matter what Jesus did, they were going to send him away? This is what I think is the most common way that evil spirits influence us. It's just a way, a way of thinking, a way of looking. And next week, here's what we're going to do. Next week, we're going to kind of unpack that. And what happens, what happens with us when we truly believe certain realities? What that does to us? And the reality that we have experienced versus the reality of Christ. We're going to talk about what happens when you truly believe something like that. And so, strongholds are bad ideas, foolish thinking, worldviews, and wounded psyches. Selfishness and greed that dominate a company culture, for instance. Tyranny and control that dominate a national government ideology. Right. These are all demonically motivated ideas. 
uh, hatred and bitterness that dominate a broken family. Make no mistake, the source of that. And you've got to deal with that spiritually. But here's the good news. Number three point, Jesus really does cast them out. Jesus really does cast out demons. Jesus really does deliver people. Jesus really does take authority in a person's life and drive out every demonic scheme. He has the power and he has the authority. Go to Luke 10. All right, Luke 10. Check this out. Here is the 72 disciples that Jesus had sent out. All right. One, some versions say 70, some say 72, but he sent them out, and this is them coming back, and they've been casting out demons, they've been doing all kinds of stuff. Verse 17 in Luke 10 says, then 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. They were like, this is awesome. Even the demons obey us. Notice what Jesus said. Look what Jesus said, verse 18. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Jesus says it. I've already seen it. He's already fallen. He's already lost authority. He's already lost power. He, was, he fell like lightning from heaven, and I saw it. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions. This is the verse I always quote to my wife whenever she finds a scorpion in our backyard or in our, in our house or any. She hates scorpions. Jesus is using this as an analogy, though, and he's saying, I've given you authority to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. But then notice what he says. So he says, this is not a big deal. Don't make a, too big of a deal out of this. Satan's conquered. There is a conquering that's coming. I can see it coming. I'm going to the cross, ladies and gentlemen, and it will be finished. And he's saying this and he says, however, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Now look, when we say, when he says the spirits are subject to us, it means obedient, submissive slaves. Did you hear me? When he says, don't, re don't when he says, don't rejoice that the evil spirits are obedient, submissive slaves. That's just the way it is. That's no big deal. Rejoice that your name is written, that Jesus has rescued you, that you are loved by God, and that you have been rescued from the sin and the damage that this world is causing in your soul. Verse 27, though, is what I want to point out here. It says, at that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, he says, it's like he had a moment. It's like he had a moment of pause and reflection. He said, oh, I praise you, Father. He was thinking about what had happened, and he was thinking about explaining this. He said, I, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. What things is he talking about? What things is he talking about? These things. He was talking about the authority that the disciples had. He was talking about how intellectual people don't want to talk about demons. It's the smart people that don't want to deal with this spiritual realm, don't even want to have anything to do with it. They don't think it's real. It's too beneath them. But Jesus says, I praise you, Father, because you've done this. You've made authority available to the most innocent. The most innocent fisherman among us. You've made authority something that 
people who will just approach you with innocence and humility, you're going to give it to them. They don't have to know it all. They don't have to figure it all out. All they have to do is know you and come to you in humility. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. Come to God like a little child, and Jesus will begin to drive the forces out of our lives that have tormented us. He says, thank you for, these, for hiding these things from, from, from people who don't believe in it, but that you've now shown us that we have authority. One more thing I want you to see. The Decapolis, right, the 10 cities, this guy who Jesus had delivered, he actually went about telling the truth about the Decapolis, or about Jesus, and in the Decapolis, in the cities, you see it in the book of Mark. If you go back to Mark 5, you see it in chapter 7, chapter 8, chapter 9. All these cities are starting to develop huge, welcoming crowds to Jesus when at one time, when, when at one time they resisted him or rejected him. The power of God is enough. It is overall and in all and through all. And so I want you to see one more thing. When Mark 5, when this man comes to Jesus out of the tombs, this demon-possessed man, he comes to him and he runs to him and what happens? Jesus says, begins to cast the demon out of him, but the demons have not yet left. They're not in the pigs. What happens? He runs to him and he bows down before him. King James says he came and worshipped him. It's the same word that's translated worship in other areas of the Bible. He came and knelt down in front of Jesus. This man was tormented. This man was as full of demons as you can be. A legion of demons. 6,286. That's, that's what the number represents. The, the word legion in, a, in the Roman realm. A legion of soldiers. Over 6,000. Okay, this guy was as possessed as anybody can be. He was way worse off than any of you. <laughs> but not this legion of demons, not Satan, not any powers of darkness could keep him from coming to Jesus and worshiping him. Nothing could hold him back from coming and kneeling at the feet of Jesus. This is what he did. And I want to challenge you today. Musicians, I want you to come to the stage, and we're just going to finish with a time of worship here. And here's what I want you to understand, is I want you to realize that no matter what hang-ups you have, no matter what's going on in your past, no matter what habits have developed, no matter what way of thinking you feel like Jesus needs to rescue you from, it doesn't have authority over Jesus. Jesus has authority over it. And, and when you come, now listen to me, listen to me, don't, look at me, look at me. Look at me. <laughs> you guys started checking out. Oh, this is the worship time. Okay. Look at me. The first step towards driving out something in your life that shouldn't be there is humility. So worship is. Worship is the statement that Jesus is in charge of my life. And I'm going to worship him and I'm going to honor him. I'm going to have the prayer team come up here right now. And if you, if you want to demonstrate humility, may, maybe, maybe you don't want to come forward. Maybe you just want to turn around in your chair and you want to kneel down. You want to get on your knees and say, Jesus, come and take over. Maybe you want somebody to come up here and pray with you. Please take advantage of that. 
Do not be held captive to pride or fear of what other people think. <laughs> if you've got things that have kept, held on to you for too long, this is, this is the beginning. This six-week series is why we're doing this. I want to see a bunch of you free. Free. Free to think clearly again. Free to be able to follow Jesus wherever he wants to lead you. So if, if this resonates with you, please take advantage. Come forward, kneel down in your seat, whatever you want to do. The communion elements are right in front of you. Right in front of you. If you want to confess your sins and you want to come to Christ and say, Jesus, please take my heart. I trust in your forgiveness. I trust in your sacrifice. I confess my sin. I give it to you. I give my life to you. I give everything. Please do that. If you're comfortable with it, would you raise your hands all over the room and let me pray over you. Father, every chain broken, every way of thinking that resists the knowledge of God, be yielded, surrendered, kneeling down at the feet of Jesus. Every issue, every habit, every circumstance that has caused a poor mindset to begin to rise up and direct our lives, we ask you to break its power now in Jesus' name. Wrong thinking, wrong actions, foolish decisions, the past is broken, the new has come. The future has come. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. In the name of Jesus, break every chain. In the name of Jesus, take your authority in every life. In the name of Jesus, release every prisoner. In the name of Jesus, let the captives go free. We thank you for this. We love you. We honor you. And we go from this place singing no other name but Jesus. Jesus.